Okay, at this time, we're blessed to have our uh, first message brought to us by Mr. Doyle Carter. Uh, his message is entitled, God's Rescue Plan for Mankind. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Best way to test the mic, just start talking. And I just I realized something this morning. I think I'm the first one to use that screen back there, or at least to use it, besides, of course, the band, but I mean, to use it for speaking. I'm glad Matt mentioned the feast, because that kind of inspired what I felt. The feast itself inspired my message today, because it is coming, I think, what, eight weeks away or something like that? It's coming quick. Some, I don't know the exact number, but it's close. Eight, eh, something like that. Time goes too fast, especially after this week. The title is God's Rescue Plan for Mankind. I had various titles, but I wasn't sure what would work, and that sounded like a fantastic one. Gets to the point. I would like to set the stage with a quote that I found on the internet. And it's by Catherine Ann Porter. I don't know who she is, but I liked her. I liked her... Uh, what she said. She says, there seems to be a kind of order in the universe, in the movement of the stars, in the turning of the earth, and the changing of the seasons. But human life is almost pure chaos. Everyone takes his stance, asserts his own right, or I'd say rights, and feelings, and mistakens the motivation of others and his own. And that's very true if you watch the news lately, because it's definitely very chaotic, which I'm not even going to talk about the news in the moment anyway, but I mean, that is definitely true, because the world, even in the past, has been chaotic at times, like the French Revolution would have ma matched what we did, so that was a little more bloody, but nevertheless, it was there. Man has always had some form of chaos based on whatever. But God is allowing this man to rule himself until the kingdom of God. And as a disclaimer, I'm aware, because I heard that when I said it, that God does guide, guide mankind. Because like, for an example, would be Daniel 2, when the king Nebuchadnezzar had that dream. You know, he was king, yeah, and he could rule as he needed, but he had a dream, and the dream was, he couldn't interpret it, went to his magicians and said, show it to me, and of course they had a very logical response, it's like, uh, king, you're asking something that can't be done unless you tell us what it is. But God graced Daniel with the interpretation and said, O king, you were set up by me, your king, and then showed other kingdoms that would follow after. So God does control our destiny, or at least can, it has, is very active in our human affairs. But we, at the same time, we still have free will, whether it's a nation or individual, to choose to disregard God's law and just go the path of destruction, which many nations do, or choose God's way and live the right way. Well, first off, as the opening scripture shows, I wanted to point out that God is not the God of confusion. And in this, we go to 1 Corinthians 14.33. Many of you probably already know it, but 1 Corinthians 14.33 and he addressed the Corinthians by saying, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So we see here that God is not, according to Paul, God is not the author of confusion. And in this case, it means like disorder or, or chaos or however you want to put it. 
And we see a shining example of that, by the way. We're going to go into Genesis. In the creation. In Genesis 1 through 2, we're not going to read it all. We're not going to be here all day. I don't have that much time. In fact, I had to condense this a little bit because I'm going after a big topic here. But I'm just going to give you a skeleton outline and you get the chance to study it on your own because it's, it's very big. We see that in Genesis 3, or I'm sorry, Genesis 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth, and God's spirit, the spirit of God, was hovering over the face of the water. So we see in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and I also tend to believe there was probably something in, in between those two scriptures, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. But we see that the earth at that point was without form, form you know, without form, void, and dark. And then God proceeds for six days to create an absolute paradise. Because I remember talking to one of our people here to, about biology, and he, we were talking about plants, and how plants, when they create sugar for us to eat, you know, like in apples and bananas and all, it's not just, oh, they just create it and that's it. It's a complicated process. The plant is almost like a massive factory. It makes what I do for a living look simple. Actually, the DNA in that little plant, like she said, it was like paper, th some of the leaves are paper thin, but they can create the sugars we can digest, our, it allows us to have energy in our bodies. We know that God created order. And when he created the universe, he created order, because we look at the universe and everything runs on physical laws. As far as the universe itself, the stars move at a certain rate, they they seem to form, we're not sure, we've never been up there, but we assume that the dust clouds all form and do their fun stuff. And everything has an order. And with Earth, he created the land masses and the plants and the animals. And then, after, on the sixth day, he did something that was a crowning achievement, mankind. He created mankind. It says in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and, said, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and every living thing that moves on the earth. So God gave the earth for us to rule or to work with, like I did this week when I killed a ton of wasp out by the... Uh, by the like killed a few wasp out by the playground because they just happened to make a nest in the wrong spot. But, but we are here, to, we are allowed to have dominion over the entire earth. I just thought that was funny because one of the wasps didn't like me removing them the hard way, so he flew off. But before he came after me, and then I went after him. But anyway, but anyway, God allows us dominion over the earth and allows us to multiply. 
And we're given free will, of course. He doesn't, we're not just like cattle or whatever. We can think. We can make our decisions. Uh, hopefully we listen to God more than we listen to ourselves, but nevertheless, but we do have that option. And I had that discussion with somebody we meet in the morning about how we shouldn't be in space and all, and this is just a cowbell, just a little cowbell in. And when I read it, I kind of thought that was interesting. It's dominion over the earth. See, I love science fiction. I love the idea of Battlestar Galactic with ships floating around and all that stuff. But space is so inhospitable to human life I and mean, so distant. It's like God intentionally put a barrier around, around the earth and said, nope, you're not going out there. Just take over the earth and do your thing. And when you go to Genesis 2 and 3, you see that Adam and Eve has, had made a fatal mistake. They were told not to do something in the garden. They had a wonderful life. I wish I could have had their life. You know, I wouldn't have to work so hard. I mean, they worked. Apparently, they tended the garden. They did what they needed to do. And then they disobeyed. They were told not to eat of the, I think, of the fruit of good and evil. And due to various circumstances, I could say too long to talk about it. You just go through your memory. They make a mistake, and God kicks them out. And we're forbidden to ever come back to the Garden of Eden in that sense. Then in Genesis 6 through 7, and from my calculations, you all can correct me later, but somewhere around 1,600 years, something like that, man, after multiplying and all that, all the stuff, got so bad that God felt he needed to destroy the planet because we've got so awful. And luckily, we... Thank goodness we have Noah who found favor, or found, as it says in the Bible, found grace in God's eyes and saved his family. But we didn't do a good job the first part of it. And Noah's family, of course, was allowed to reproduce, create more nations again, and go on, go set, so forth. Then it appears that God decided to choose a certain individual for a certain purpose. Well, actually, his descendants as well. We'll clarify that just a little bit. But he looks down on earth, and he sees a man named Abraham. Abraham appears to follow Christ all his, his ways, and is righteous, and teaches his children. And so he approaches Abraham, and he says this in Genesis 12, 2 through 3. Genesis 12, 2 through 3. He says... To Abraham, God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curse you. And in you, all your family families of the earth shall be blessed. So he decided to create a nation out of the descendants of Abraham. And, he put, and he, of course, we all know God performed many miracles. Because Abraham, I think, was, again, you have to correct me. I, it was a long week. I just know that he was around 90 years old. And he asked a logical question. How am I supposed to have children? You know, Sarah is old. And, and, it, and it, it happened. And over time, we know from reading Exodus that between their three groups of kids and then they grew in Egypt, that they actually grew up into a major multiple of people. And God calls them out of Egypt, and this is his instruction to them. So now we got Abraham, his descendants, and it's like so many hundreds of years later. And then he goes to, when he's calling these people out of Egypt to go claim their land, 
their mission or their goal, as you would say, for the Israel. In Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, my agreement, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these were the words that you will speak to the children of Israel. So if there was uh, God wanted to create a nation, and he did. And the, the, there's criteria, though. If you read, you keep my, my principles, you keep commandments, you do what you need to do, or what I tell you to do. And again, for the sake of time, I'll just briefly go through what generally happened. This is going to be more like a history lesson today, I guess, in a sense, but it'll be a quick one. We see that eventually Israel and Judges was ruled by God, not by a man. And then they wanted a king. Samuel took that personal, and he said, no, 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 no. The people just wanted a king. It's not you. They're rejecting me. And then they get David, which turns out to be a very good king. Yes, I forgot Saul. Saul was replaced by David over time. David turns out to be a very good king, a man after God's own heart. Then his son, who asked wisdom, but unfortunately age and various events messed that up. And then... Then it, the kingdom had to be divided from Rehoboam to Jeroboam. Rehoboam was the son of David who got to keep at least two of the tribes. And, you know. and the Jeroboam, when he did the, ten, the, uh, it, the kingdom of Israel itself, he decided to change everything out of fear. He changed all the holy days. He changed as much as he could. And he just disconnected the people from God. I got this from Ron Dart. I've been listening to the king's... Kings of Israel, the book of Kings with Ron Dart. It's really interesting, all the little nuances and lessons. I recommend you read it. There's a lot of real good lessons in Kings that you can learn. Because, I mean, like, for example, Jeroboam, from what Ron Dart could gather, was just afraid that the people would go down to Jerusalem to keep the holy days, like we're about to do in about six weeks or whatever it is. And it'll be less than that for some of the other holy days. And they would just, their heart would go back to Jerusalem and want to go back to the day, King David, not realizing God promised him this king, kingdom will be his for as long as he can just obey. But as we all know, the bad news behind that one was that Israel was the first to go because it separated itself from God because it kept, did not keep any of the commandments or the covenant or anything. And Assyria came down and destroyed it. Then we see Israel or Judah held up, but not for very much longer, and again, it also went down. So we see that God set that nation to, was to be an example, but it failed. Then comes a very, very special event. And this is one us Christians really love, of course. It's Jesus Christ comes on the scene. Now there's, that's the one we... we tend to note the most, of course, New Testament talks all about it. And we know that Jesus Christ was a physical descendant. We know he's more than that. But as far as physically, he was a descendant of Abraham, which we'll see in one of the quotes I'll go through later. And he had a mission. And we see in Matthew, 
4, Matthew 4, 17. In Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So he was now mentioning his kingdom. Not Israel's, anyone else's. His kingdom. The kingdom of, I say God. Okay, it was heaven in this version, but kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven can be interchangeable. In this case, it says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what was his, his uh, mission? Well, let's look at the very familiar scripture. John 3, 16 through 17. For, John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have ye have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There's a plan. There's a mission through Christ. The world could be saved. And it also says in here that, he says, whoever believeth in him shall not perish. He didn't, he wasn't specific. He just said, whoever is called and, and believes will definitely be a part of this plan. We see that he is definitely calling individuals in the world. Now here's where my scripture for that it goes. He says in Galatians 3. In Galatians 3, 26 through 29. One of the spur of the moment ones, but nevertheless there. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That in itself is a remarkable statement. We are all sons of God. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you all are one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It's funny that Paul goes back to that promise where he, Abraham, and there's a lot more promises to Abraham than what I'm saying, because I like say due to time, you can't go into it. He was promised a nation out of his, his descendants. He was, I think, promised all the land that he could just see, which, you know, if it's a flat area, I, can, I remember being in the desert and out in, uh, I think it was near Wyoming, or not Wyoming, Utah, wherever the Grand Canyon is, and I asked Dad one time when I looked out at the distance, I said, how far is that? Oh, that's about 40 or 50 miles. I went, what? That's, that's a lot of space you're seeing across that flat landscape. I mean, you've got a lot of land out there. I still say, as I always said before, the Grand Canyon looked like a big hole in the ground to me, but that's beside the point. It's an awesome hole, but it's just a... Yeah. We also know that during the crucifixion, Jesus was, at, was quizzed by Pilate, and he, it reveals a lot of interesting facts. In John 18, 36 through 37, John 18, 36 through 37, he was quizzed about his kingdom, and in, just to break into the thought, he says, 
Jesus answering a question by Pilate. I reduce this down a little bit. Jesus answered, saying, or answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. We can read that a lot in the prophets. Prophets speak of that, that there'll be a new kingdom eventually. And then Pilate even asked beyond that. We all know what Pilate's motivation was because, as I said, men get to rule. He's just worried about whether he's going to cause some trouble. Because at the time, I think there were several people who tried to rebel against Rome in, in Jerusalem and that area. So he's just concerned. He says, Pilate says, therefore say to him, said to him, are you a king? Are you a king then? He's, and Jesus says, you are right, rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone, no Pacific, no nation, just everyone, who is of the truth hears my voice. And we know this is a fact, because at first in Acts, you see that you see the apostles go out and they stay with the Jewish community mostly, which makes sense. That's where you'd, I probably would have stayed if I didn't know any better either, thinking what I, you know, believe in the times, in the times that they believed a kingdom would be set up. And then God's, through persecution, just spreads them everywhere. Of course, Paul was a part of that one, and he got to, God allowed him to be a, ma a fantastic speaker after that. Through conversion, he went to the Gentiles. He opened that way to the Gentiles through Paul. And many Gentiles actually were converted into Christianity at that point. It no longer was a Jewish religion or sect or however you want to say it. And we as people, remember what I said that, you know, that uh, humans are like pure chaos? We also have to work on ourselves. We can't just, Christ had that in it, had that message. In his message, we are to be perfect. I didn't put that in there, but in Matthew 5, see, be perfect as your father. And he made a lot of regulations to help us to become better, better people, to become godly, to become his children, God's children. We see this when he talks to the Ephesians, when, when Paul starts to talk to the Ephesians. He goes in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. In other words, we can't just inherit a kingdom the way we are because then we'll just rule like the other rulers in the world. We have to improve ourselves. And in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and he himself gives some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, or pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of Jesus, or I'm sorry, of the Son of God, to a perfect, perfect man, to measure of the measure of the statue of fullness of God of Christ. And we do this by studying, we do this by submitting to God, we listen to Him, we do our best, and sometimes we don't do so hot or great on it. I can tell you that now. This week was very trying, as I told you a couple of times. I didn't do anything terrible, terrible, but the back of the brain was like, they asked me to do what I thought was almost an impossible task. And I still say to you all, and I don't, do, you don't know what I'm talking about when I say I pulled 340 boxes to, on Thursday, but 
it was a it was it was a chore. We my company stores stuff, you know, stores like medical records and so forth. Don't need any more information. And they were these items were to be removed and destroyed in a proper ma ma manner. Well, the bosses above my boss wants it all done this week, and with all the other stuff that I have to do, it was I felt it was almost impossible. So when I went over there and they said pull everything, I prayed to God fast. I went, uh, please make this easy for me. And it turned out by 4:30 everything was done. So I give God the credit, not me. That was an exhausting day. And I'm sure that many of you all can look back and think of times when you actually had problems and you went, hey, God, I don't even know how we're going to do this. And it all worked out just fine because he made it work fine. You went to who you were supposed to go to. But we are to shoot for perfection. And there's a reason for that. And if we can't make it, like I just told you, Neil, this week I may have had a couple of hiccups because I was hot and in the sun. We know that Jesus Christ is our advocate. So if we do make mistakes, you know, we do make mistakes. There is an avenue, because unfortunately being human, you know, like I, was gonna, like I put here, David, David was a man after God's own heart. You read that, and you look at David, he committed adultery, he numbered his armies, and for some reason that was a bad thing, and he was punished. But then you read in Kings, after he's gone, every time he talks to, to Rehoboam and his descendants, if you'll just do... As my servant David, who is a man after my own heart, God just forgot all about it. In our case, we have Jesus Christ, because there's a reference for anyone who's interested, just for sake of time, 1 John 2, 1 through 3, I'm not going to read it, but it talks about Jesus Christ as our advocate, if anything goes wrong. Because part of growing to become like Christ, we have to unfortunately make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. We're like children. I say that because I've done a lot of mistakes. If I didn't do them in the past, I'd probably be better off today. But, yeah, whatever. But we're being trained for a grander plan. I mean, we see that many individuals in the past and even today are being called and they're being perfected and they're being worked on. But this is for a grander plan. Yes, it's for today. You're a witness to your own people around you. You talk to people. You have a commission today as physical people, as in you get to be a light to the world. Because, you know, I think it's why Ani likes what happens because God prized blessings. I think other jobs saw that. And I know that some people I've seen actually told the same thing where they would work at a place and their job would suddenly become work much better. But we have a higher calling than that, a larger scale. So as we continue to work on it, as we continue to work on it, we see that God one day will create an ki earthly kingdom. Remember we said, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. But one day it will be. In Revelation eleven fifteen. in Revelation eleven fifteen, talking about the seventh trump, the day we all look forward to. Because we, I, I don't know about you, but I get tired of turning on Fox News or CNN and hearing all this stuff and... It's worse than when I was a kid. Good gravy. And I thought the 60s and 70s were crazy. Jeez, and it's crazier today than it was then. But in Revelation 11, 15, talking about the seventh trump, and the seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. 
This is a start of a new age through Jesus Christ as king in a kingdom of God for the entire earth. We all look forward to that. And we have a part in it, of all things. As I said, we become better over time. And we see in Revelation, when I, Revelation 20, verse 6, one I always seem to like. Revelation 20, verse 6. It says, Blessed and holy is he who has part of the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. And they shall be, be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. His kingdom will reign a thousand years. And like I said, he's training us today. Didn't cover that, but I think we all kind of figured that out through our daily lives that, you know, we make mistakes, we learn, we don't do it again, we go on. We and we even hear that David will become the king of king of Israel at that t in, the, in the kingdom of God. I couldn't think of any better person myself after reading his life. He learned a lot and his man of great experience like that would be an awesome man to be under. My final scripture is the same that Steve ended last week. This is what we're looking forward to when God finally sets up his kingdom. This is what we're looking forward to. Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. And it says, as, as Steve went through, but I think it's worth repeating because it's a wonderful hope to think about. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. He will, he shall, and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not, or shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Think about that. The world be re-educated, which will be my next topic next time I speak. The world will be re-educated, and that will be something to look forward to. We will not be allowed to have war at all. War will stop. I'm like Steve one day. He made a comment in one of his. I'm not trying to refer to him, but just... It made me think a few days ago when I was at work because I was thinking about what I would say today. And he said something about in his lifetime, he's never seen no war at all. I mean, an absolute world of peace. And, you know, think about it. I saw the Vietnam War. I think we had some miniature wars between that. Then we went against Iraq and then Iran. And it, it's like it's like ongoing wars. I think we went against Afghanistan and there was some other. But this promises there will be no more wars. God will go in and mediate and take care of that problem. They will be re the people will be re-educated. In fact, they'll even go up and say, hey, we want to learn about this. This is awesome. We see some good stuff here. I mean, you'll have a few rebellious ones, as Zechariah 14 said, but God just said, well, you know, let's, let's see what you can live without rain for about a year and see how you feel about that and see if you want to send delegates up. You know, we'll, we'll work on you there. 
So my point of the day was pretty much just to cover, as we hedge into the Feast of Tabernacles, to just give a brief outline through the Bible, and it is extremely brief. I didn't even talk about the, the, how Israel's going to fa factor in it. I didn't talk about how other nations might. But there's a pattern in the Bible of how God is gonna, has allowed us to do what we do, and he's going to take over and help us and rescue us, so to speak, from ourselves. Because if we were left to ourselves, we'd probably obliterate ourselves before we'd look at each other. I mean, I don't mean that meanly, but the Bible does say in Matthew 24, if these days were not shortened, no flesh shall be saved alive. And I encourage you before the feast to go ahead and study about it. Can just review the outline. Because when, when you review the history in the Bible and follow the stories of God's plan, it reveals from creation to Noah to Adam to Jesus Christ and so forth, you see a plan forming. And it doesn't focus on one nation. It, it focuses on Christ. Because on his shoulders will they be that kingdom. And don't let the world, the news, the chaos in the news and the misinformation just break you off of that. Because that's one reason I was thinking about this. Because watch the news. It's like discouraging. And it really just keeps you from thinking about it. And really working on this message was awesome. Because it made me think that there's something beyond this world. Something beyond, we just got to deal with what we got to, do the best we can. And someday, someday we will see a kingdom of God. And we are blessed to have the holy days to constantly remind us. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. And we won't do like Rehoboam and got rid of the, get rid of them. He did that for some reason. So as we approach the coming feast, the fall feast, I encourage you to focus on the wonderful promises promises, if you want, ahead of us, the kingdom of God under the ruleship of, of Jesus Christ and all the many, many, many details that will be involved in it. And I'm sure we'll hear plenty of that. You all have a great Sabbath.